Welcome to Urban Legends. We are now into the second series of our podcast, cut podcast, which is exclusively about urban legends. And you will no longer find any information about etiquette here. If you want that, look it up yourself or go and listen back to series one. Uh, I am, as always, Chris Flynn, and I have um, a little bit of good news to tell you uh, just after I introduce you. Two, the man, the myth, the legend. They call him the king of coupons, the badass of buy to win. Uh, it's... <laughs> don't I don't know, have very good English, wherever this is. don't know where I'm going. Uh, he is uh, king of the sales, the Black Friday bandit. It's Mr. Consumer Advice himself. It is. Neil Herbert. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? The podcast is already going off the rails, I see. Yes, the podcast it's, it's is very much like that kind of Indiana Jones yeah. movie set piece. Is it? I'm is not sure it, which one of us is short round. Probably both of us. Is uh, is the podcast full of um, full of uh, cheap consumer deals that you've been uh, yeah, getting this week? Running it high with. Uh, got your eye on any stuff? For, got your eye on any stuff for Black Friday, which has passed now that this is going out afterwards, but. We're recording, you know, behind... We're recording prior to... We're recording prior to... Yeah, because we need, I mean, to, we need to get in shape for Black Friday, obviously. Well, I would say, you know, it would be a post-Black Friday deal, but you could get 50% off this podcast. Really? If you listen to uh, one of the, the, the previous season one episodes. That's not bad, is that's, it? That's, that's a tremendous value. Very nice. And uh, are they also presented by Neil and Chris? Because that's your sign of quality. Yeah. No doubt. You know? Um, so, have you been have you been going around with your little wallet full of coupons recently down down Boundary Road or whatever, getting getting your deals? Yep. You know, bad chicken Kiev's fifty p off. That's <laughs> not bad. It's not the freezer with those. Oh, with, with with a garlic with a garlic style butter. Well, yeah, got garlic style garlic style butter style. <laughs> 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 what I like about the with a, um, with, with a garlic style liquid yeah. <laughs> in, in a ch- chicken in a chicken style. Why is why is liquid in inverted commas? Still getting really worried now. Why is um, why, is, why is style in inverted commas? Well, <laughs> lab technicians have spent hours or oh, years perfecting this. Uh, not not as long as the lawyers have spent on the packaging, though. Unfortunately. No, my favourite thing with those kind of I don't know, I don't know if they do this anymore actually, but um, well, if you don't, who does? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you obviously got your standard chicken Kiev, which yeah. ideally chicken breast with with garlic butter inside. I don't know that I've ever had one with chicken. It's always that reformed chicken when I've right. Yeah, have a, yeah, but I mean, it might be breast meat, but it's not like a slice of chicken breast, is it? It's like if you were making if you were making it at home to the recipe, like the original recipe, you'd be you'd be slicing open the breast and chopping. Yeah. Some- Frozen garlic butter inside, bread yeah. coming, bread coating it, and frying it. Um, but yeah, it, but they, there was a spate where they would put stuff like chicken tikka in the middle of things. Like that. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you, tried it. Wasn't yeah. it? Was it wasn't good? Too bad. What was there? Actual lumps of chicken tikka inside the chicken. No, that would be the best. In like, it was just tikka sauce. It was just tikka sauce inside chicken breast. 
I've had the ones with ham and cheese. Yeah, well, you could get other things there, like ham and cheese. I don't recall, like, having, I don't know, uh, I don't know, plum sauce or something inside. (laughs) You'd have that in Chicken chicken chow, mate. I'm sure we could get worse. But I do like... It's a bit like what we do with pizza. Well, you know, I I, I admire our ability to destroy multiple world cuisines. (laughs) A stroke. But that's not us. We've That's been brought over from the States, hasn't it? We didn't come up with that stuff. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just, I imagine they might have a, they might have a lab on the outskirts of Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're very much the sort of like test test lab for all of those kind of things. Have you seen those um, snack boxes which are really famous in uh, sort of Scotland, which we don't have down here? On the munchie box, yeah, munchie boxes which yeah. have got, like all sorts in them, like onion rings, <laughs> chicken wings. <laughs> Curry. Yeah, no, it, yeah, no I, I read an article about that. I was, it was about 10, 15 years ago or something. It was some guy had written some up. But yeah, he, yeah, he'd like. They're like the most calorific thing you can get. Yeah. They're like three quid it's or whatever. Just, it's just whatever's in the back yeah. of the freezer. Yeah, it was like a load of chips. Yeah, like yeah. just some like chicken pakora, you know, um, yeah. bit of salads, just some dips, bit of fried pizza. Salads. Oh, yeah, well, what? that was what they called it. It was a Glasgow salad, apparently, which was chips. And then. Oh, right. <laughs> But the thing is, to remember, you know, all of you out there going, oh, God, I can't believe they eat that. I eat a Mediterranean diet, thanks. You know, I just eat... Oh, and Donna meat as well, of course. Donna meat, yeah. I just eat, you know, olives and, uh, you know, uh, some focaccia. You know, yeah, that's fair enough, right? But you've got to remember, it's really cold in Scotland. And we we live on an island in the North Sea. Like, we yeah. can't we can't live on a Mediterranean diet here. We'll die. Like, it's not possible. Our winters are too mild. You tried growing an olive tree in Aberdeen. Have <laughs> you ever tried Scottish wine? <laughs> let's, oh. let's just say it's fortified. Oh, nothing wrong with a bit of bucky. No, look, I'll be honest with you. I thought it wasn't done in Scotland, though, is it? That's in Cornwall it's actually, or something. No, it's actually Dorset or something. Yeah. yeah. It's some, yeah, it's some... Um, uh, so it's a priory or something, isn't it? Like monks make it. Yeah. Like yeah. Abbey. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, I can't remember the details. I think it might be Dorset. I can't remember. It's somewhere down in the southwest, I believe. They sell um, it, so it the, mostly so... exported up to Scotland, I, I believe. Yeah, to the so... all around the world. But... What do they? What do they? You can't find it. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd happily give it a go. Sounds all right. I've had fortified wines juice. before. So yeah, I've had fortified wines. I mean, yeah, you know, all right. Partial to a bit of port, to be honest with you. But uh... yeah, I like that. Um, not quite one one. Or two years, I can't remember. I got quite into that uh, ginger wine you can buy around Christmas. You know, the ginger fortified wine. It's like a ginger meat. Yeah, that's something like that. Yeah, that's that's very drinkable and you know very cheap. So you can tell where I was in my life at the time when I was buying a few bottles of that for the evening. You know, you know, after after a few bottles of that, obviously we would have been there. Well, it's really tasty as well. Really tasty. Yeah. So, Neil, would you like to hear my uh, good news? Uh, go on, yeah. No, I'd be, be, be delighted to hear good news. So, uh, in celebration of uh, us completing the first series and uh, the gallivanting success that it was, uh, and all the money we got from all our sponsors, um, like Snopes and, uh, I don't know, uh, Tatler, those kind of people. 
<laughs> that, that, okay, I'll let you know. That's why we have. I think to we do... might be in the little black book this year, Chris. I've that heard last... so. I've heard so. Yeah. Um, that's why. Uh, that's why we had to do the etiquette. It's because Tatler was um, was was shadow sponsoring us. So well, they wouldn't sign off on that money unless we did it a full series of it, would they? So that's right. Um, but yeah, now that contract has ended, they have decided not to renew, and so we can. The non-disclosure agreement has now ended. But in celebration of all of that, I have uh, become pregnant. Uh, as you know, I reproduce asexually. And um, You've been confusing your life with the plot of an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie again, Chris. No, no. Um, I mean, I've told you the story before, but um, when I was... It, it, they, were, they were doing a social experiment in sort of South London when I was born at the maternity hospital where I was born, which has now been destroyed by the clergy. And um, they were injecting newborns with seahorse DNA to see if they could produce some kind of super soldier. So I'm assuming that this was Church of England because, you know, the Pope was thrown on that kind of research. Uh, no, it was it was um, it was Thatcher. It was um, it was Thatcher's government doing it. Obviously, in South London, we didn't vote Tory, so she didn't see the needs. You know, it was yeah. like when they put all the fluoride and stuff in. Rock at that point, in fairness, <laughs> people's teeth go all weird. Um, yeah, so I uh, I'm I'm giving I'm after this show I'm going down to the beach where I'm going to swim a grip onto one of the legs of the pier. And re- yeah, the West Pier. That's that's where I. That's my breeding ground. And I'm gonna the final re- thing. I'll destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna release gonna release my babies into the wild. I come back on land. Uh, I'll be female for a bit. Um, I imagine it'll be uh, as I as I stride out of the sea, having given birth. I imagine it'll be like Athena rising from the waves, something like that. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of picturing either something like, you know, whatever you're going to, your progeny, something like that, have a razor head or possibly that Korean maybe the host. I've not seen either of them, unfortunately. But um, they're kind of, they're they're seahorses, but they're sarcastic. That's basically what they are. And, yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to name, if it, because it's a mixture of seahorse and human, I can only have one or two babies. So if it's a girl, I'm going to name it Pascalita. And if it's a boy, obviously, it's going to be called Robert after after our first series. And, you know, if they manage to get out past the dolphins and the mantas and uh, great whites that live just off our coast, then, you know, maybe they'll, um, maybe they'll go on to produce more of my awful hybrid DNA. So, just thought I'd let you know that, Neil. Um, don't worry, though. I do return to my old form within two to three weeks. So, just in time for Christmas. So, um, talking about things changing, today we're going to look at a vampire story, which uh, isn't from Eastern Europe, the traditional home of the vampires. It's, uh, it's from Rhode Island, and we are looking at the Mercy Brown vampire incident. So, what do you think so far, Neil? You like uh, you like vampires, don't you? Oh, Could yeah. eat a whole one. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're you know they're one of your top tier monsters you want to hang around with. I think they're you know <laughs> a bane much. Like we we'll mind having a pint with one. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
Yeah, they're like Nigel Farage. Yeah, right. <laughs> Somebody I probably would desperately avoid having a pint with. Come on, you feel like you know what he's banging on about. He'd have rather a pint with Boris than Nigel Farage. Really? No. I would avoid both, frankly. What about Trump? To a pint with him. To talk about himself. It'd be the same thing with with all of them to talk about themselves. But I would have thought that hanging around with me for however many years it's been would have given you training for that. Oh, you're on that (laughs) spectrum. Don't get me wrong. You know? (laughs) Yeah, you know. Doesn't mean I actively seek out more of it. That's why we only talk to each other once a week yeah. and under the guise of a podcast nowadays. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was going to get it court mandated, but it seems to be working out, so we stick to these bands. <laughs> we'll keep the relationship going. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, well, okay, so a few points there for me. So interesting in that, yeah, I, obviously, you know, a lot of Europeans settled in America, but didn't really know there was kind of like, and what is it, what's interesting is just having had a quick look at this. Um, yeah, there being some sort of vampire folklore in America. Mm. Um, hadn't have thought that that was, you know, hadn't thought it travelled too far out of Eastern Europe, to be honest with you. Obviously, Bram Stoker wrote the, um, you know, wrote Dracula, Dracula and, uh, and a lot of stuff came out of that. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that that was kind of like a big part of American folklore. I think, yeah, I think that vampires or sort of, you know, call them what you will, sort of, blood-sucking humanoids are probably quite... I mean, like, chi- like there's Chinese vampires, isn't there? So, you know, I think that... That's they're true, quite, actually, yeah. You have the, the sort of hoppy vampires. I, I think mean, the they're cross-cultural, um, yeah. you know, and, he, and Brian Stoker, you know, pulled on resources to his, to his novel, but it's not the same as, like, you know, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, where she just sort of came up with this... Yeah, it was invented. This would this is something which I think is fairly a fairly broad thing. I wouldn't be surprised if like native people of America, the First Nation, whatever, have a version of like a sort of night walker or something. I think they probably do, like that kind of gets people at night. I think it's probably probably a fairly broad church. The vampire A lot of this seems to come down to sort of like some level of superstition, which are, you know, obviously what? has no modern day. So let's get into this. So I'm going to start off with a little bit of Wikipedia and then we're going to dig in to Mercy Brown. Mercy. And Mercy. Mercy Brown. So the Mercy Brown vampire incident occurred in Rhode Island, US in 1892. It's one of the best documented cases of the exhumation of a corpse in order to perform rituals to banish an undead manifestation. I'm going to, sorry, I'm just going to immediately need to address that as well, Chris. So mm-hmm. one of the... Mm-hmm. This, not the this, best. This is something that happens. Yeah, it's, not, it's top ten, maybe. It's yeah, not, maybe. You know, it's it's not right. really good at exhumation. There's no, no fireworks. They didn't get to... a celebrity to do it. <laughs> You've kind of you've kind of left it too late there, haven't you? If you're having to assume the corpse to uh, to banish evil spirits, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Unless you know that, unless well, we don't know. Let's let's see if um, there's any explanation behind. You no, know I'm jumping to conclusions. Maybe they were right all along. Well, I, 
message on the end of this podcast. I think the little break that you had from uh, doing the analytical work that we do has led to your mind slipping dangerously into the reactionary. So horrors of subjectivism. <laughs> so the incident was part of the wider New England vampire panic. Wee. So no, didn't, we'll right, have a little so dive into that afterwards as well. Let me to understand what that is. So several. So we're in Boston. Huh? No, we're in. Oh, oh New no. England is that Boston? Well, it is New England, but Boston's Connecticut, isn't it? And this is Rhode Island, which is near, but. You know, there's all those little small states that are kind of north yeah, I'll, of... I'll be honest with you, in my head, this is just a load of, like, people speaking like Bostonians, <clears throat> Mark Wahlberg or something. Hey, she's a vampire! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, several cases of consumption, or as we know it, tuberculosis, occurred in the family of George and Mary Brown in Exeter, Rhode Island. Friends and neighbours believe this was due to the influence of the undead. An attempt was made to uh, remediate. An attempt was made to remediate. <laughs> that, that, that's the end of that sentence. She died uh, January 1982, age 19. So let's have a little bit of a history from Wikipedia. Hopefully, the full article, which I'm going to read, doesn't. Actually, I'm just going to do the full article. That'll do Wikipedia. So this is from allthatsinteresting.com. And it was checked by Jacqueline Anglis. So, it is called Why the Mercy Brown Case Remains One of History's Craziest Vampire Incidents. When Mercy Brown's family started dying off... One of them. <laughs> the thing is, people always say this. is like, this is one of the, the greatest Great. vampire yeah, exhumation crazy. stories. You're like, show me the other ones. Yeah, it's, cl- it's just clickbait stuff, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, that's so why. Have you got I, more of these? Have you got a top ten? I'd like to see it. You know, and I genuinely mean that. Well, that's why I have joke it like in a thumbing my nose at internet culture in our description of the podcast. So I've I've got uh, welcome to the hottest podcast about urban legends. So when Mercy Brown's family started dying off one by one, the town blamed her even though she'd been dead for months. Uh-oh. <laughs> that wouldn't stop her, no better than she ought to be. The police were in their infancy in Exeter Road Island at the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they, they, weren't, they weren't the most logical group of people, obviously. No. So, in... Oh, the suspect... Died two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean we can rule them out. You could, yeah, yeah, you could buy an alibi. Now I've been to detective school. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking disagree with you on yeah, that. Yeah, you can buy an alibi. <laughs> so, if... What, they're undead? <laughs> what, if, what if they're a witch, wizard or witch, whatever, yeah. Well, that's, they like all the witches and stuff in New England, or they did anyway, didn't they, at the start? So... In 1892, tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in the United States. Then known as consumption, its symptoms included fatigue, night sweats, and the coughing up of white phlegm or even foamy bloods. I mean, that just sounds normal to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, <coughs> ah, I knew I should have stuck to 40 a day yesterday. But, um, it was I mean, yeah, consumption. I mean, we had the big sort of TB hospices and stuff, didn't mm-hmm. we? I, I, there's a, you find with quite a lot of like big old buildings, there was some, you know, some TB ward or something where people were basically left to 
to, to die effectively. Yeah. Because uh, all you know, pre antibiotics, then um, that was probably your prognosis. You were going to recover or you were going to yeah. probably more pass away. Um, so there was no cure or reliable treatment for TB. I'm, I'm going to shorten it to TB. Physicians often recommended that a patient affected by the disease should rest, eat well, and exercise outdoors. Of course, these home remedies were rarely successful. People with active tuberculosis had an 80% chance of dying from the illness. There you go. The terror surrounding such gruesome death helps explain the madness that befell the small town of Exeter, Rhode Island, at the end of the 19th century. Residents began to fear a vampire named Mercy Brown was causing consumption-related deaths in the town, even though she was already dead from the same disease. Not going to stop her. Task no. focused. Proves it, if anything. Well, it's got a nice... What a vampire would do. Pretend to die. It's got a so... nice illustration here of someone using mesmerism, aka hypnosis, which was a common early treatment for TB. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I wonder if Mesmer proposed that as the. Do you think it was just a psychological condition? And it's just, it just reminds me a bit. This is one of the early stories of Freud, where he was, he was doing his sort of psychoanalytical sort of techniques, Ugh. and there was some some woman on the couch, and he's like, oh, he thought that some some issue she had with her nose was um was something all in her head to do with her father. Anyway, it turned out she'd had some botched surgery, and they'd left um, some surgical gauze up there, and she nearly died of a blood, blank brain hemorrhage. Yeah, I mean. I've, I can't remember the full facts of the story, but back, he, he was sitting there thinking it was like some inter- trying to figure out some interpretation. For what yeah, there. but that's the thing with Freud, isn't it? He's um, been widely discredited. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, no, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I knew, um, had a friend years ago who worked for the NHS, and he, you know, a lot of Freudian theory is still very um, current and, and psychoanalysis. But obviously, you know, mm. there's not not everything is. Uh, that um not everything means you want to have sex with your parents sometimes it's a physical thing oh yeah i mean i you know i don't you know there's i think like some of the cases and some of it are um the evidence is a bit thing um it's not as rigorously peer-reviewed as it should have been but um i think you know it still uses it's still a foundation of a lot of psychoanalytical theory as i understand but i don't know just because a friend of mine is say he he worked in mental health in the NHS, and the, yeah, I was like when I was in my twenties, kind of like, oh yeah, a lot of that fraud stuff been debunked. Well, no, actually, quite a lot of it is still, it's still the basis. Yeah, I'm. Um, I I think the kindest thing I could say is that uh, psychiatry is still in its infancy as a as a science. That's what I would say to it, as someone who's seen lots of been to psychiatrists and stuff. Um, it all started when it was, yeah, just a smooth segue into that. That's not, <laughs> it's not dark. It was just like, you know, like New York. Oh, no, no, no. Like New Yorkers yeah. go to go and see a psychiatrist. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with Go for counselling and that kind of stuff. I've never it's found good. it useful. Um, but there we go. Um, it all started when a farmer named George Brown lost his wife, Mary Eliza, Eliza, sorry, to TB in 1884. Two years after the death of his wife, his oldest daughter died of the same illness. Before long, tragedy would strike the Brown family again. As the family members died one by one, people began to suspect the reason was something far more sinister than disease. The rest of George Brown's family appeared to be in good health until his son, Edwin, became seriously ill in 1891. He retreated to Colorado Springs in the hope that he would recover in a better climate. Is Colorado Springs better climate than Rhode Island? Don't know. Um, 
Mountain air, maybe. Yeah, I'm not how polluted it would have been in, in those days. But well, I can't imagine it. I get, but I think. Stuff, I would have thought the weather. I don't know. Well, it's it's kind of it was less built up, and it was kind of in the you know mountain area, so maybe maybe cleaner air. But you know, whereas stuff like fog from the sea, people would think was bad for you and stuff back in those days, wouldn't they? And Rhode Island's obviously on the Atlantic coast. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, you, way back when, where you did have kind of like stagnant water and stuff. I mean, obviously not from the sea, as you say, but uh, stagnant water was a precursor to sort of yes, because obviously, yes. Uh, so the, the marshes whenever they made the encampment. Yeah, Mal Air. Yeah, malaria, malaria. Yeah. However, he returned to Exeter in 1892 in an even worse state. Oh no! Oh, that I had to remortgage the house to get you out there. Within the same year, Edwin's sister, Mercy Lena Brown, died from TB when she was 19 years old. And with Edwin deteriorating rapidly, his father began to grow increasingly desperate, which you can understand. But it sounds like he had a lot of kids. Meanwhile... Insurance policy, they're all dying off of consumption. Yeah, you've got to, got to knock them out. about, you know, 60% of them aren't going to make it for a week. Needs to get injected up with uh, seahorse DNA like I did. Um, meanwhile, several concerned townspeople kept telling George Brown about an old folk tale. The superstition claims that, by some unexplained and unreasonable way, in some parts of the diseased relative's body, live flesh and blood may be found what is supposed to feed on the living and who are in feeble health. Now, that's a strange sentence. Let's go through yeah, that. I didn't, I didn't, didn't understand. Couldn't follow it. Um, <clears throat> let's go again. By some unexplained and unreasonable way in some part of the diseased relative's body, live flesh and blood may be found. So they're saying that. Live. So they're yeah. saying that a part of the dead person might still be alive. Yeah. So they're saying that somebody gets TB and then turns into a vampire. Is that what's happening? No. So what they're saying is. So by some unreasonable, <laughs> you know, by some unexplained and unreasonable way. In some parts of the diseased relatives' bodies, live bodies, live flesh and blood may be found, which is supposed to feed on the living who are in feeble health. Basically, the myth claims that when members of the same family tree waste away from consumption, it might be because one of the deceased is draining the life force from the living relatives. Okay, so I get this bit, which is, I'm not quite sure what, it sounded like they were referring to some part of the body, whatever, whatever which actually is, I'm really a bit like autoimmune disease, but anyway. Um, so, I don't know what's they're saying that someone who's died of... Yeah, no, it's, it's this notion, isn't it? So, yeah, it's that classic vampiric thing where, you know, people around somebody are dying and they, they're sucking their life force out or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, the literal thing would be through blood. But, you know, you know it could, could be some, some kind of psychic vampires. Psychic vampires, yeah. Yeah, through mesmerism, perhaps. Perhaps through mesmerism. Um, well, vampires famously can use mesmerism, can't they? Absolutely. Get you yeah. to do stuff. Go to the shops for me. Both practitioners of it. Go yeah. and get me a packet of fags now. Get, yeah, get me 20 pence and, <laughs> and, and a pepperami. Yeah, and a pepperami. And some Brannigans. I don't do Brannigans anymore. <laughs> go and find me some Brannigans. But if you have to go more than a mile, don't bother. I'll have some McCoys. Yes. And a can of, yeah. can of lilt. No wonder the vampires are angry. You can't, you know, 
McCoy's a nice substitute. Go to the co-op and get, get, get me a nice monkey right. and onion pie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a local newspaper reported, Mr. Brown did not place much credence in the old-time theory and resisted their impunities until Wednesday when the bodies of the wife and two daughters were exhumed and examination had under the direction of Harold Metcalf, MD of Wickford. Got him all the way around. So he's come a cropper there, hasn't he? He's, you know, they've tried to advise him with the cutting-edge medical science. Mm. You know, you, your daughter's probably a vampire, mate. Let's sort this one out. <laughs> we're going to dig her up. Enough. We're going to dig you know, her up, <laughs> shove a stake in her. He thought he'd do his own research. <laughs> Look what's happened. You've got a vampire daughter now. It's killing off your family. Indeed. The crypt where Mercy Brown was likely interned. It just looks like a little cow shed, something like that. Uh, indeed, on the morning of March 17th, 1892, a doctor and some locals exhumed the bodies of each family member who had died of TB. They found skeletons in the graves of Brown's wife and eldest daughter. However, the doctor found that the nine-week-old remains of Mercy Brown looked startlingly normal and undecayed. Case closed. Clear vampire. Burn it. I'll be honest with you, American vampires are a bit shitty in Europe, my books out of it. So you, you you kill off your family with consumption and then just decay a bit less. Yeah, a little bit less decay. <laughs> it wouldn't have made a great novel. I'm just going to say, I don't think Bram Stoker would have made quite, they would have made quite so many films. The boring vampires. <laughs> the kind of mythology that he'd put together. So, furthermore, blood was found in Mercy Brown's heart and liver. This seemed to confirm local fears that Mercy Brown was some kind of vampire who'd been sucking the life from her living relatives. But Neil, why why is she dead? Oh, it doesn't doesn't mean it was pumping. I mean, it's a bit less. Well, no, precisely. But it's like, so you found some blood. I mean, presumably she died after them. Before she died before, she she was less decomposed. And she's less decomposed than they are. Yeah, okay, that is weird. So Neil, what happened to Mercy Brown after her death? Question mark title of the next bit. They chopped off her head and burnt it or something ridiculous. Hopefully. If they, you know, if they knew what they were doing. The doctor tried to explain to the townspeople that Mercy Brown's preserved state was not unusual. <laughs> After all, she'd been buried during the cold winter months. So there you go. Just basically, fr- she was in a freezer. Nevertheless, superstitious locals insisted on removing... That's why I'd break into morgues with a flamethrower, Chris. <laughs> with a hydro <hard> vampire. <laughs> it's not the only reason, is it? Oh, oh, what, cold things decompose less quickly. <laughs> there you go. So you're part of a conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm burning too. Get, get my super soaker full of paraffin. Yeah. I say flame fryer, yeah, I mean. <laughs> super soaker full of water paraffin. Pistol with lighter fluid and a lighter. You just got um, a deodorant can and a lighter. <laughs> so, nevertheless... Superstitious locals insisted on removing both her heart and liver and burning them before reburying her. The ashes were then mixed with water and fed to Edwin. Who's Edwin? Oh, oh, that oh that's the son who went to. Assumption. That's the one who went to Colorado Springs. Yeah. Unfortunately, this supernatural concoction did not cure him, and as people had hoped, Edwin died a mere two months later. Probably, if anything, it's probably made him worse. Probably would have turned into a vampire and then would kill the rest of the family. Maybe if there was any left. Yeah. By this point, they all died. And here there's an 1896 article from the 
the Boston Daily Globe. That's terrible. <laughs> that describes how prevalent fears about vampires have become in Rhode Island around the time of Mercy Brown's vampire incident. And the banner headline says, Believe in Vampires! Rhode Islanders, who are sure they do exist, uh, instances told of where the living have been attacked and preyed upon these representatives of an unseen world. And there's a little... Examples? No, not yet. But there's a uh, there's a little kind of etching or woodblock thing of a member of the Empire Vampire Party, anti-vampire party. Um, I don't know, just as I bloke with a stick. So, such practices of digging up and burning the deceased over fierce or vampire-like creatures were not uncommon in many Western countries until the early 20th century. But while Mercy Brown's case was far from an isolated incident, her exhumation came at the end of an era for those vampire-inspired rituals. I mean, I'll be honest with you, this is just anti-vampire discrimination. Anti-vamps. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got, they've got their own lifestyle and culture, and you just, yeah. you know... Oh, and re- religious in that case, you can't just let people be people. Exactly. So, headline, The Last New England Vampire. While Mercy Brown had a very short life, we can assume her legacy as a last New England vampire will live on forever, thanks to the stories passed down over the years. Her surviving relatives reportedly saved local newspaper clippings and family scrapbooks and often discussed the story on Decoration Day when the town's residents decorated the local cemeteries. That's the fun, isn't it? That's, that's, that's a very strange one. So you'll never guess. <laughs> My grandmother was a vampire. Yeah, yeah last one in New England. All right, give me some more of that glitter for this tombstone. <laughs> I, I, I assume you, I assume you cut out her, her heart and lungs and burnt them. Yeah, and yeah. Well, then we fed it to her brother, and he died. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful stuff. <laughs> Have you got any more of that silly string for this Celtic cross over it? Um, so today, Mercy Brown's gravesite is popular with sight serious and curious visitors who often leave gifts behind, such as jewellery and plastic vampire teeth. <laughs> I mean, the poor girl died of consumption and then got uh, got mutilated after her death. Here's <laughs> some plastic vampire teeth. So you know, this is the thing: posthumous fame. Be careful what you wish for. It's not what you want, is it? It's Once there was even a note which read, "And it's your catchphrase, Neil. You go, girl." Nice. Uh, clear, I didn't know you'd been there. Some finger clicking. <laughs> Clearly, none of this where. was happening during the vampire scale of the late 19th century. Even though the German scientist Robert Koch had discovered that bacteria would cause tuberculosis in 1882, germ theory had only began to take hold a decade later. As the contagion was better understood, infection rates then began to go down as hygiene and nutrition improved. Until then, people resorted to pointing fingers at alleged vampires like Mercy Brown, even though, even when they were no longer alive to defend themselves. Easier to win a court case that way. Wait for the person to die. Yeah, it's, it, it's almost, it's almost like uh, acting like a rampant idiot in the middle of a pandemic. Actually, that's <laughs> not something that we'd see these days. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't see modern parallels, obviously. So that's um. Good Lord. Yeah. At least they said vampires rather than uh, a, glo- a, shadow, a, shadowy, a shadowy global elite of yeah. paedophile devil worshippers. 
uh, and people put in microchips and vaccines, which is what people oh, say these days. Awesome <laughs> question. God, yeah, I didn't. I can't remember what it was on now, but yeah, somebody was trotting out that line about yeah, Bill Gates profiteering from vaccines or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I do like the idea that, well, as somebody pointed out, you know, just banging on about that, they're obviously putting microchips in the vaccine to keep an eye on us as they're typing all this into fucking Facebook. Yeah, some um, someone put up a mm, thing. I wonder, I wonder whether, whether they do anything sort of like... Someone put up something on Facebook the other day, someone who put stupid stuff up quite a lot. Um, like, not bad stuff, but just like, ugh, like, and it was... Someone had like someone in America had like a sign, like a painted sign outside their house saying, "We can, we can, we can afford, you know, we can vax the world, but we can't feed the poor." And I thought, yeah, good sentiment, except for the fact that like four percent of Africans have been vaccinated. Do you know what I mean? It's like we haven't vaxed the world. Like I agree with your sentiment. We could like we can clearly do stuff that isn't being done, but I mean, just because most of America and Europe's been vaccinated doesn't mean we've vaccinated the world. So. I think before before sort of critiquing everything, you should probably you say that, Chris. But they did for smallpox. They There's did. nothing wrong with smallpox. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with left wing conspiracy. That's true. That's why that's why all the men are so weak now. Yeah, smallpox used to make you strong. <laughs> smallpox yeah, make you eradicate the weak. Against all our toes. Bring it back. That's what I say. Do you know? What? And I say also, you, know, you wouldn't say, have Instagram. Like, I would have, I would absolutely not, you know, I could see somebody coming out of that now, whatever fucking batshit lunacy coming out of somebody's Well, mouth. you know, and that's the thing, isn't it? Like, if we still had smallpox, you wouldn't have Instagram. We'd bring back smallpox, brilliant. Oh, we, because, <laughs> because everyone have, like, really game. pockmarked faces, yeah. so. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good. Exactly. You know, maybe... Not having pockmarks is a political decision. <laughs> <laughs> fucking lefty communist cunt. So, Neil... Now, let's dive in a little deeper to the Great New England Vampire Panic. And this is from the Smithsonian Magazine. (laughs) Very fancy. Very, very fancy. That's America's biggest museum, isn't it? It's that or Ripley's, believe it or not. I'm not sure. (laughs) Which one's which? Ripley's, believe it or not, has like a Model T Ford and the Smithsonian has... The man with three bollocks, or something like that. <laughs> something like that, yeah. Um, so, two hundred years after the Salem witch trial, farmers began convinced that their relatives were returning from the grave to feed on the living. Smithsonian Magazine. So, children playing near a hillside grave mine found the first graves. One ran home to tell his mother, who was sceptical at first, until the boy produced a skull. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, now, now that certainly escalated. So, firstly, again, stop sending your kids to graveyards to play. No, they've got all the nice decorations. <laughs> what is this? What? Americans' obsessions with combining playgrounds and graveyards. <laughs> You're asking for trouble. You're just going to raise an army of demonic children. Or well, Maple Hill, that was the same. And exactly. There's loads of them, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're not, <laughs> it's a, I would I would consider it a com- part of a communist conspiracy to have public like to have publicly funded playgrounds for kids to play in. So you know, let's just stick some, let them knock around the grave. <laughs> stick some swings. 
<laughs> on the gravestones. Send a lot of school age kids to a graveyard. It's to go and kick the shit out of some vampires. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't. Okay. So, because this was Griswold, Connecticut, in 1990, police initially thought the burials might be the work of a local serial killer named Michael Ross and taped off the area as a crime scene. Again, if there's a local serial killer, right, why are your kids out playing in graveyards? <laughs> hang on a second, hang on a second, hang on a second. We got, so we've got kids playing in graves, we've got... Uh, so the local... Who's the, sorry, what's, what's the local serial killer? How's Michael, he involved? Michael Ross. So they basically, the kids found, like, graves and a skull... And the police thought, oh, there's a serial killer killing people around this area at the moment, so it could be to do with that. They've only got one skull, haven't they, thus far? Well, that's all they brought. But the, but the kid brought that as proof that they'd found stuff. Okay. So, but the brown decaying bones turned out to be more than a century old. The Connecticut State Archaeologist, Nick Bellatoni. He's bastard. He's been down the ossuary or whatever they call it. So, you know, you know when they bury people yeah. and then they dig them up after a while and they stack the bones. I think it's called an ossuary. Oh, do they? Well, you, yeah, so because so, on plots, I think, you know, normally in a lot of graveyards, you can't, you know, after a number of years, they will, you know, they will just dig out the bones and just shove them into a sort of like a much smaller oh, do area. They? I think they Yeah, I believe so, yeah. They did it in Manhattan or something. Yeah. Stick it in the ossuary. Yeah, well, I think I think that's all all over the world actually, but because um, you can, you know you won't otherwise you wouldn't have it. You'd run out of space for um, putting more people into the graveyard, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, I don't just know burn them. Get down the creme. You go down. You go down creme. Yeah, let's go down the creme. Um, so you're going to have less vampire problems as well. You see? Exactly. That's why. That's why cremation safe makes sense. So, the Connecticut State... Or, as we've already explored, you know, like a Viking funeral, getting fired out of a cannon. Into the centre of town. All good options. Filled yeah. with fireworks. <laughs> yeah. So, the Connecticut... It's not worth taking a chance. Just, you know, you, yeah. could, you, know, you could come back as undead. Why, why take the chance? Uh, don't know. Don't know. Um, I guess it's just some people are funny about their bodies being burnt. When they're dead, they could have beliefs around it. And you wake up in a coffin and you spend eternity sitting in a little box. Well, as we've discussed, I'm going to be I'm going to be mummified and interned in that uh, little uh, walk-in wardrobe of Van Hoogstraten's... Uh, <laughs> what have you called it? at the back. Yeah. at the back. So, <clears throat> the Connecticut State Archaeologist, Nick Bellatoni... Soon determined. I mean, that, that that sounds like a a good like seventies uh, eighties series. The state archaeologist Nick Bellatoni be like Petrocelli or Quincy or something like that. Yeah. But he's solving cold cases. Absolutely, you know, it's just every every week random bodies are turning up at the graveyard. Yep, <laughs> kids are running in with new skulls. <laughs> So he soon determined that the hillside contained a colonial era farm cemetery. New England is full of such unmarked family plots, and the 29 burials were typical of the 17th and early 18th century. The dead, many of them children, were laid to rest in thrifty Yankee style in, <laughs> in simple wood coffins without jewellery or even much clothing, their arms rested by their sides or crossed over their chests. Except that is for burial number four. 
Oh. Belladoni was interested in the grave even before the excavation began. It was one of only two stone crypts in the cemetery, and it was partially visible from the mine face. Scraping away soil with flathead shovels and then brushes and bamboo picks, the archaeologist team and uh, team worked through several feet of earth before reaching the top of the crypt. When Belladoni lifted the first of the large flat rocks that formed the roof, he uncovered the remains of a red-painted coffin and a pair of skeletal feet. Diddly-diddly. Nice. <laughs> they lay. I thought they were going to find an undead woman in there. Yeah. And he married her. Uh, they lay, yeah. he remembers, in perfect anatomical position. But when he raised the next stone, Pelotoni saw that the rest of the individual had been completely dot 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 rearranged. <laughs> the skeleton had been beheaded, skull and thigh bones rested atop the ribs and vertebrae. It looked like a skull and crossbones motif, a jolly roger. I'd never seen anything like it. Bellatoni recalls. In all his years. In all my years. In all my years. As the Connecticut state archaeologist, I've never seen anything like it. Subsequent analysis showed showed that the beheading, along with the other injuries, including rib fractures, occurred roughly five years after death. Someone had also smashed the coffin. The other skeleton in the graveside hill were packed uh, packaged for a burial, but not JB, as the 50-ish male skeleton from the 1830s became to be called because of the initials spelt out in brass tacks on his coffin lid. He was shipped to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C. for further study. Meanwhile, Bellatoni started networking. Oh, nice. That's Bellatoni for you, isn't it? Never, oh. never drops a ball networking. Started off. Either networking or screaming, pick him up! <laughs> Get the lid off! <laughs> Show me the skeletons! Um, yeah, he's just like, hey, uh, do, can, you do, can we connect on LinkedIn? Uh, so he invited archaeologists and historians to tour the excavation, soliciting theories. Hmm. That's the oldest, uh, <laughs> oldest trade on earth, soliciting theories. Simple vandalism seemed unlikely, as did robbery, because of the lack of valuables at the site. Well, if it was a robbery, there would be a lack of valuables at the site. I would, I would point out Bellatoni. <laughs> it's not the sharpest tool in the world. <laughs> no, yeah. that's why he's only the Connecticut archaeologist. Puts his best foot forward. He's a trier, bless him. God loves a trier. Finally, one colleague asked. Ever heard of the Jewish city vampires? In 1854, a neighbourhood in Jewish... You think I ain't heard of them? I fucking invented them! In 1854, in neighbouring Jewish city, Connecticut, townspeople had exhumed several corpses suspected to be vampires that were rising from their graves to kill the living. A few newspaper accounts of these events survived. Had the Griswold grave been desecrated for the same reason? In the course of his far-flung research, Belladoni placed a serendipitous phone call to Michael Bell, a Rhode Island folklorist who had devoted much of the previous decade to studying the New England vampire exhumations. I assume as well as doing a job. The Griswold case occurred... What's his job? 
That was where's he getting his funding from? Money for anything these days. <laughs> Man, old rope. Yeah, he probably had a YouTube. Uh, the Griswolds case occurred at roughly the same time as the other incidents Bell had investigated, and the setting was right. Griswold was rural, agrarian, a bordering southern Rhode Island where multiple exclamations had occurred. Many of the other vampires, like JB, had been disinherited, grotesquely tampered with, and reburred. Mm. In light of the tales Bell told of violated corpses, even of posthumous rib fractures began to make even the posthumous rib fracture began to make sense. JB's accusers had likely been ramaging around in his chest cavity, hoping to remove You've got burn some stuff and then make a fake medicine, haven't you? Yeah, and perhaps burn his heart, having a, having a nice old rummage. The other little old lady next door. <laughs> Force them. Force them. <laughs> Here you go. Have some. Have some heart ash yeah. mixed with goat's blood. We're Christian. Headquartered in a charming old school house. I don't remember anything in the Bible about vampires. Don't you? I'm sure they're in there somewhere. Uh, I think you're forgetting. Probably the book of... Think you're forgetting Judas? Yeah, the oh, first actually. vampire. That's uh, actually that's the uh, that's a plot of a movie. I know. There, Butler in it. Yeah, yeah, Judas. So, headquartered in a charming old schoolhouse, the Middletown Historical Society typically promotes such falsifying topics as Rhode Island, Gristmill Restoration and Stonewall Appreciation Days. Sounds good, we should go there. Two nights before Halloween, though, the atmosphere is full of dry ice vapours and high silliness. Fake cobwebs over the exhibition. That's a great grapes. Warty gourds crowd the shelves and a skeleton with keen red eyes cackles in the corner. We'll turn him off when you start talking, the society's president assured Michael Bell, who is readying his slideshow. <laughs> Bell smiles. Although his lectures across the countries have taught at colleges, including Brown University, he's used to people having fun with his scholarships. Vampires have gone from a source of fear to a source of entertainment, he says a bit ruefully. Maybe I shouldn't trivialise entertainment, but to me, it's not anywhere as interesting as what really happens. Bell's daughter, a 37-year-old Gillian, a member of the audience that night, made a futile attempt to tempt her father with the Twilight series, but uh, there's Buffy and Twilight and there's what my dad does, she says. I try and get him interested in the pop culture stuff, but he wants to keep his mind pure. Indeed, Bell seems only mildly aware that vampire appearing everywhere from True Blood to Vampire Diaries has once again sunk its fangs into the cultural jugular. As far as he's concerned, the undead are always with us. The picture, picture of him here in a graveyard being lit by a torch. And um, who does he look like? It looks a bit like Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen was a secret vampire hunter. So um, this goes on quite quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think we get. I don't think we want to go through the whole thing. I mean, so uh, I can basically towards the end. It's a long yeah, So basically, basically, I think what we're saying here is that they were thinking that they were. There were a bunch of vampires who were... I mean, I don't know if this is all tied into sort of consumption, kind of like, um, you know, being spread around at the time. Mm. But, you know, and that, and that was the predicate of sort of 
people dying and causing these kind of panics, but they were presumably thinking that these um what you know these corpses were uh, were coming back out of the of the grave. Yeah, that's unspecified. Killing folk and then sort of going back for a nap. It seems like they weren't really sure how they were doing it. Whether they were I don't know what kind of yeah, I don't I don't know whether they were doing it via sort of some unknown like uh, Mycenaean family connection. Don't know. Um, Yeah, it doesn't. What's this? It reminds me a little bit. There was a panic in. in uh, in sort of Europe or in, well, in Britain, around around the same time where they thought that um, people were being buried alive. Well, actually, yeah. probably in America as well, because Edgar Allan Poe, I think, was obsessed. Well, that's with why people started people. having bells attached, so they'd have a pipe that went down into the coffin with uh, which, and then attach a bit of string, and there'd be a bell next to the gravestone. So that people, if they woke up and had been buried alive, could bring could pull the thing and it would ring the bell, and that's where the phrase "dead ringers" comes from. Oh, there you go. Um, so it says here. Yeah, no. it says here that. Um, <clears throat> so this gives you an idea of the kind of a, you know the kind of uh, zeitgeist at the time, I guess. So, while New England farmers may have been guided by something like reason, the spiritual climate of the day was also hospitable to vampire rumors. Contrary to their puritanical reputation, rural New Englanders since the 1800s were a fairly heathen lot. Only about 10% belonged to a church. Rhode Island, originally founded as a haven for religious dissenters, was particularly lax. Christian missionaries were at various points dispatched there from more godly communities. The missionaries came back and lament that there's no Bible in the home or no church going whatsoever. (laughs) says Linford Fisher, a Brown University colonial historian. You have people out there essentially in cultural isolation. Mary Olive, Lena's sister, joined the church just two weeks before she died. In a place of organised worship, superstition, in place of organised worship, superstition reigned. Magic springs with healing powers, dead bodies that bled in the presence of their murderers, people buried shoes by their fireplace to catch the devil if he tried to come down the chimney. They nailed horseshoes above their doors to ward off evil and carved daisy wheels, kind of colonial hex signs, into their door frames. So it sounds like they'd fucked off religion at this point and then gone back to paganism. Well, you know, you need to try and trusted methods, because I tell you what, we put that horseshoe up. Since we put that horseshoe up mm. on the um, the devil's not come down it once. Uh, so you tell me. Well... That's just that's just that's just science. Well, you know, it's uh, how many how many times have you seen a devil visit in this house? Well, your house, yeah. several, but um, that's because you invited him. <laughs> that's because I, I summoned <laughs> several occasions during one of our sex magic parties, <laughs> well, yeah. Crowley-esque style sex magic. Um, no, the thing is, you know, all of this it it's basically Pascal's wager, isn't it? I, you know. Do I believe in the devil? Not really. But does it harm me to bang up some horseshoes over every door, bury some boots under the chimney, you know, carve a daisy wheel into my front door of my rented flat? No, it doesn't cost me anything, you know. And uh, if if it does work, then that's great. Yeah. <laughs> so. And he was French. You can tell he was small. Yeah, definitely. So, um yeah, this Smithsonian thing's too long, so I'm not going to read through it. But if people want to have a look at it, then 
yourself out, really. Yeah, <laughs> knock yourself out. You know, I've got better things to do with my day. Um, so, Neil, shall we go through our now being, well, it's being introduced this year to colleges around New England, our scoring system. Yep, in what in place of their belief in vampires. Um, it, it, it's um, in, in, t- in tandem with it. Oh, right, okay, that's good. Um, you, want keep, you want to keep the old things flourishing. So, Neil, uh, I'll let you go first with spookiness. So, I'm... I'm not. I'm not, I mean, I suppose. Yeah. So, you, so we seem to be blaming vampires for um, people dying of consumption in, in one of our earlier ones. I'm not quite sure what else they've been been getting up to. Um, no, no. Yeah, I don't seem. I mean, I suppose I, I get the point. Is is that they're just pretending to be dead, or they're just dead for and they, presumably they rise from the grave and get up to vampiric shenanigans. But um, there's nothing to suggest yeah, that yeah. though. It's literally just draining. Well, I can assume that's what they're they're thinking is happening because. Um, yeah, there seems to have been this panic, and um, yeah, well, I suppose what's spooky is me having consumption. They try and force feed me some like ash, fucking folk medicine from my sister's cremated remains. So apparently, yeah. apparently, like even at the time, people were looking at the vampire panics in New England as a complete anachronism. <laughs> They're going what? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, no. You know, I, I'm going to think so. Too, it just sounds like they're a bit, they're a bit backwards. I was thinking there was nothing massively spooky, but actually, the notion of mass hysteria and people—I mean, it doesn't sound like there was massive harm out of this one. There was just a bunch of—I mean, there's it's you know, like corpses being desecrated. Yeah, but, I mean, that's not. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's less than ideal. It's not great. It's horrible. But you know, this is not. Yeah, no one's been you know, burned. It wasn't like that people had died of preventable illnesses or things like this. Um, you know, but they would have died of consumption anyway. So the fact that they were just trying to apply remedies that were, were useless doesn't mean that they were, yeah. you know, forgetting, overlooking remedies that would have actually worked. Um, so, but no, um, the, the, the notion of kind of like this kind of hysteria and kind of like, you know, people just, um, you know, being led along with those kind of things is a bit spooky, I suppose. I mean, that's not really... So the, va- the vampire itself doesn't scare me, but the fact that everyone gave credence to the um, to these stories of vampires um, is a bit spooky, so I'm going to give it a six. Six, nice one. So uh, I'm going to put myself... I mean, like obviously, to me, none of this is spooky, um, but that's looking with hindsight. Um, I think <clears throat> if I put myself in the shoes of the people who are really superstitious, living out in the sticks probably lots of woods and stuff around. Um, and you believe in all the, you know, devil, and you'd had a couple of hundred years like before people being burned as witches and all that. Um, I don't know, but, you know, and you don't really, you can't, you don't have a clear answer to why these people are getting all frail and dying and coughing up blood and stuff. Um, so, and you don't, it's, you know, it's the invisible threat. <laughs> it's an invisible threat, isn't it? So you don't know. So I imagine it's very scary for them. Um, and they, you know, when, as is often the case, when modern science can't give you answers, people fall back on superstition or religion or whatever. So I imagine it was a very scary time for them to be around. I don't find any of it scary, but I think, um, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll give it a six nil. So believability. So, 
it all happened, so that's very believable. So it's obviously going to get a high score. Um, was it people? But and it's it's explained. It was people with TB. They weren't vampires. The corpse being uh, not as deteriorated as ones that buried more recently was because it was buried in the frozen ground. So that just makes sense. Even a doctor at the time knew that. So the vampire part of it's nonsense. The but. It did all happen, so I'm going to give that a six again, Neil. Okay, I'm going to go slightly lower on this just because I think it doesn't hold up over time. Um, so believability at the time, you know, I absolutely get that, you know, you, you've got this sort of region where, you know, um, people are a bit more um, believing of like old folklore and things like that. Um and the superstitions. Um, so, yes, it would have been probably more believable at the time, but I think you're probably, you know, hopefully you're not going to have too many people who still cling to a superstition about vampires in this day and age. And I would hope that there's not, you know, um, growth being dug up in the last 20 years, to, you know, just in case somebody's going to come up and start killing people. I think it's just um, around the corner. Yeah. I mean, there are actual yeah, people yeah. who now believe that that zombies could exist. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, and that's just stupid. <laughs> well, we're probably not far off already. Um, oh. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a slightly lower score on that basis and give it a four. So but it would have been believable at the time, but just because it's not, it wouldn't, shouldn't have stood the test of time. Okay, reach. Um, so I'll go fast first here because I didn't mention... Uh, any stuff around the reach so it has been involved in popular culture um there's been short stories uh brown stoker knew about the case that's something yeah. um and apparently based novel's character lucy westenra westenra on her it's uh referred to in a lovecraft thing um it's been a series, uh, series called Law. I know that. Yeah, that was uh, so. And it's been in like Monster Quest and stuff like that. So it's been around. It's fairly well known. Um, I'd never heard of it before, um, but you know, it seems fairly well known in America. I doubt it's known very much outside of America. Um, possibly not all that well in America, despite the fact that it's the craziest vampire story. Um, but it's you know, 130 years old and it's still been talked about. Um, I mean, it's okay. Breach, you know, I'll give it... uh, I think it's only a four for me, Breach. Neil? Yeah, similar. I mean, the fact that it's still around, um, so, but it, it seems like more of a historical curio than sort of like a folklore thing. So I don't, I don't suppose, again, I'm making an assumption here, but I don't suppose there's too many people accusing their neighbours of being vampires anymore. So whilst it's um, whilst it's still still knocking around as a, uh, as a as you know historical footnote, if you like, I don't you know it's not um, it, it's not like anyone believes anymore that these people were vampires or that there could have been a vampire roaming around New England. And by this mysterious thing, it just seems to have been fairly clearly sorted out that it was just people dying of consumption and then some people who didn't really understand what was going on because they didn't grasp the germ theory at the time and blaming outside forces or some sort of superstition. So I don't think the posterity argument holds up that much either and I 
don't I I mean I've never heard of it, but that's no surprise of most of these. Um and I you're right, I'm don't I've never heard of the kind of like New England vampire um hysterics. That's quite interesting. But um yeah, I don't think the reach is probably much outside of America. So yeah, I think um, I think a Thor's probably fair enough. Okay, and narrative premise, Neil, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, no worries. Um I think it's quite interesting actually, because I think um I you know it's quite an interesting little fact that in, in that area of New England, there wasn't much religion and then people mm. sort of leaned on the kind of heathen superstitions. Um, you know, you'd have a lot of kind of, and the thing is, I think, you know, to, to rely in that kind of agrarian area or that kind of sort of like um, out in the country. It's then, nice. You know, you can have a lot of practical folk remedies. It's nice when, um, when the elders of the church aren't shouting at people, people fall back to paganism. I love that. <laughs> just everyone just falls back to paganism when they're not being actively shouted at. <laughs> well, then, then, they, then they go out and see some Peter and they, you know, <laughs> in the trouble. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean, I think you just, I think you just got to show, isn't it, is that people's fallback position will be to try and, you know, manifest some kind of exterior motive or whatever it is, you know. You, yeah, education wouldn't have been great in the rural. 1800s. No, and, and you'd have to be very self-reliant. So, you know, you would have had, I mean, formal education and all the rest of it, but, um, you know, a lot of it would have been based on their own kind of observation of things and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, I, um, I I think there's quite um, sort of some quite interesting narrative here just in terms of the whole... I mean, the, the one thing I think that takes it down a notch for me is these vampires don't seem to be doing anything particularly interesting. What I'm, what's... I like... I, I, well, I say I like... I. I think that, you know, the, the sort of mass hysteria element's quite interesting. I think there's quite an interesting kind of, and there's an interesting sort of parallel with the way things are happening at the moment with social media. But, um, and, and, you know, people leaning back on superstitions because they don't trust the established um, authority of the day. So it would have been the church back then. You think it would be leaders and kind of scientists and things these days. Um, so that's all quite interesting. And that's quite, um, you know, interesting part of the narrative to me, although I don't know, it's kind of, Sits, sits on the edges, I suppose, but what brings it down a notch is the fact that the vampires aren't actually doing anything mm. particularly. You know, there's, boring. I don't know, don't know what their end game is. They're not like you know. I mean, even you know, in Twilight, they made them they're trying to have sex with teenagers. Having, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't. Um, I didn't. I didn't agree with their end game, but they had one. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not good, but it's you know, they've got a mission statement. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, yeah. So that brings it down a bit. So I'm going to middle for the and go for a five. Five, yeah. So um, yeah, the vampires are dull as fucking shit. Right, they're boring. They don't seem to like. Why some red hot slow decomposition action? Yeah, they're yeah slightly slowing down the de- decomposingness, but they 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 seem to be suck. They're sucking the life out of like members of their family, but. Really, to no benefit. They're not doing anything. They're, themselves later on. They're not yeah, doing they're anything with it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just like, just like a real dick move. If I'm, if I'm going, you're going to. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the kind of uh, social, sort of sociological stuff is more interesting, kind of about, uh, yeah, like the, the people um, all going sort of getting really into vampires and paganistic and that kind of stuff 
you know, only 130 years ago. Um, and the thing is as well, yeah, it is quite rural, but it's not like it's not like Rhode Island is a big state. Do you know what I mean? It's one of the little little ones. You know, it's not it's not a big state. It's not far away from fucking New York City or Boston. So it's not like it's like some somewhere like in the middle of nowhere in Montana or something. But then I think what feeds into it is the fact that they have got history of witch trials and all of that kind of stuff. Basically, they brought a lot of stuff from the old world over and it kind of stuck up there in up New England because it's kind of the oldest continually inhabited area from a Western point of, like, from the Western point of view, from the settlers. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> that's interesting. But, yeah, the vampires are shit. So um, for that reason, uh, it's a four from me, which gives it an overall score of 39. So just under half marks. Um, not too bad. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. So um, if, there wasn't much behind it. But there, yeah. there wasn't much behind it. But, you know, it's something that did happen, and that always boosts the scores. <laughs> always boosts the scores. Um, so if you know of any vampire, if you know of any vampire myths, which were one of the other crazy ones, because it seems to intimate that this is one of many, then... And the other reason for exhuming corpses. Yeah, then do get in touch at herb.legends.pod at gmail.com. Um, but apart from that, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your week. Try and uh, not exhume too many corpses. Uh, and... Uh, that's it from this week's Urbane Legends. Goodbye. Take a look.